So this morning, we're starting a new series on the life of Abraham. So go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 12. Last fall and into January, we did Genesis 1 through 11. And now we're going to be looking at Genesis 12 through 25. So while you're turning there, let me give you a recap of what happened in Genesis 1 through 11. So we'll all be on the same page together. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates Adam and Eve. I mean, think about this. Out of nothing, boom, Adam and Eve, alive. He gives them life. He gives them amazing bodies. He gives them to each other. He places them in the Garden of Eden and gives them every blessing. And best of all, he brings them into relationship with himself so that they can know him and depend upon him and trust him perfectly good God, flawlessly wise God, infinitely powerful God. They can know him, depend upon him, rely on him, and they'll have everything they ever need forever. It's his promise. But tragically, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve did what we've all done. They became proud. They didn't want to submit to God. They wanted to decide for themselves how they were going to live. They wanted to choose for themselves what was right and wrong. And so they rebelled against God. They turned their backs against God. They sinned against God. And the result was God's curse came upon them and their sin and the serpent, Satan. And from Genesis 4 through 11, it's just a tragic story. I'll give you the the flyover view. Sin spreads. Sin intensifies, sin increases, and by the time we get to the end of chapter 11, sin and God's curse has covered the earth, and virtually everyone, as far as we can read in chapter 11, everyone is rebelling against God. Everyone is enslaved to sin. Everyone has a purely sinful nature. That's where we come at the end of Genesis 11. And so all of us readers at that point are are deeply troubled, thinking, What happened to creation? Sin has covered the earth, and we're weighed down with the tragedy of what's taken place when we come to the end of chapter 11. But that's not all we're feeling. We're also feeling a strong hope because in Genesis chapter 3, God gave an astonishing promise of salvation. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Keep your finger in Genesis 12, but Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 We went over this promise in great detail last fall. Let me just briefly review it now. It sets the foundation for where we're going in the life of Abraham. God is talking to Satan. And here's what he says. I will put enmity. Now that means a division or a separation. I'm going to put enmity, a division, a separation between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve. And between your offspring, Satan, your offspring, and her offspring. He, one of Eve's offspring, a man of flesh, he, one of Eve's offspring, shall bruise your Satan's head, and you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. So here God promises that one of Eve's offspring, great, 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 great grandchild of Eve, is going to bruise Satan's head, which means that the power of sin and Satan will be broken. So who was this offspring of Eve, great, 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 great grandchild of Eve, who broke sin and Satan? It's Jesus Christ on the cross. When he paid for our sins on the cross, thousands of years after this promise, 
Satan's power was broken. Sin's guilt was paid. Sin's power was broken. And people can be saved. And so because of what Jesus would do on the cross thousands of years in the future, God says, I'm going to put enmity between the serpent and Eve. I'm going to change Eve's heart. Up to this point, Eve was in alliance with Satan. She was enslaved to sin at that point in the story. But God changed her heart, birthed a new nature in her, which beheld God, trusted God, submitted, surrendered to God. And she turned to God, trusted him by faith alone, was completely forgiven and restored to God. And God doesn't just do this for Eve. He does this, he says, for a group he calls Eve's offspring, her offspring, which is a massive number that no one can count. We read in the book of Revelation from every nation, tongue, and tribe. So there's the promise. So as we come to the end of chapter 11, we're feeling two things. One is the tragedy of sin spreading and covering and filling the earth. And we're feeling the hope. God's promised salvation. He's promised salvation. And so let's raise this first question as we look then into chapter 12. How will God fulfill his promise of salvation? How will he do that? And part of the answer is given in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12 regarding Abram. We met Abram at the end of chapter 11. The word Abram means exalted father. God would later change his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. But here in these next few chapters, he's still Abram. Abram, like everyone else, had turned his back on God, sinned against God, and was enslaved to sin, had a sin nature. His nature was of sin. But because of what Jesus would do on the cross, God changed Abram's heart, birthed a new nature in his heart, which trusted God, and he turned back to God, trusted him, God by his power, because of what Jesus would do, forgave him, freed him, poured his joy out upon him. Abraham was restored to God. And then in verses 1 through 3, God says something to Abram that is breathtaking. Listen to these verses. Read them with me. Verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So in verse 1, God calls Abram to leave his country, family, land that he knows, and go to a place that God's going to show him. Let me show you how this works. So Abram was over here in Babylon, and then God led him and all of his family, extended family, appear to Haran. And it was while they were there in Haran that God spoke to him and said, leave here and go to a land that I'm going to show you, which is the land of the Canaanites down here. So we're talking about a big move that God is calling Abram to take. And then God gives Abram astonishing promises. First, God says, verse 2, I will make of you, Abram, a great nation. That ends up being the people of Israel, the Israelites, who are still a nation today. God fulfilled that promise. Second, God says, I will bless you, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
So the whole world was under God's curse at this time, but Abraham had received God's blessing of salvation. God would continue to bless him. God would make his name great so that he would be a blessing to everyone, spreading the good news of salvation wherever he went. We will see him doing that. Third, God says, I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. So those who respond well to Abram will be blessed by God. Those who dishonor, harm Abram will be cursed by God. And then fourth, this is the, this is the final, massive, staggering promise. God says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So through Abraham's offspring, through a great, 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 great grandchild of Abraham, God is going to save people from every nation, every tongue, every tribe will be saved through Abraham's descendant, great, 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 great grandchild. So who is this offspring of Abram through whom all the families of the earth, all the people groups of the earth are going to be blessed? Who is it? Just like back in Genesis 3.15, it's Jesus Christ. So do you see this? Here in Genesis 3, and here in Genesis 12, thousands of years before Jesus, we have promises pointing ahead to Jesus. Jesus was part of God's plan. He was fully God, second person of the Trinity, the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit, this beautiful plan of salvation from eternity past. And here, promises about Jesus are being given all the way back in the first book of the Bible, the third chapter and the twelfth chapter through Jesus, men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe are going to be saved. So we come to the end of chapter 11. We're feeling the tragedy of sin spreading. We're feeling the hope of the promise of salvation. We're wondering, how's God going to fulfill this promise of salvation? And in the first three verses, we get two new pieces of the puzzle. One is that salvation is going to come through someone in the line of Abraham. Genesis 3 was one of Eve's offspring, okay? But now it's been narrowed down. Now it's one of the seed of Abraham. Can somebody get that light for us back on? Thank you very much, Amy. So that's one additional piece of the puzzle. Now it's through the line of Abraham. And we also have learned it's going to spread to every people, nation, tongue, and tribe, all the people groups of the earth. Thanks, Amy, so much. So now we've heard God give Abraham this command, leave costly obedience, leave everything and go to a place I'm going to show you. Seven astonishing promises. So we're all on the edge of our seats as readers saying, What's Abram going to do? What's he going to do? And the answer is in verses 4 through 6. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Lot was his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they'd gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So what does Abram do? Obvious answer, he obeys God. But there's an even more important question, and that is, how does he obey God? Because this is costly obedience. Uprooting at 75 years old, going to a place he doesn't even know about, trusting that God's going to lead him. Costly obedience. And so how does Abraham obey? And the answer is 
that he obeyed by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 tells us that explicitly. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive. I mean, think about it. From what we've read in verses 1 through 6, why did Abraham leave everything he knew to go costly obedience to a place he didn't know? Why was he willing to obey God in that way? It was because he trusted the promises, right? He believed God's promises. He wanted the promises. I mean, think about it. God had just said to Abram, Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you and make your name great, not so you can just be great, but so you can be a blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who dishonor you. And Abram, you know how sin is covering the whole world. In you, all the people groups, every nation, tongue, and tribe, every family group in the earth is going to experience the blessing of salvation. Abraham heard those promises and said, yes, wouldn't you? So Abraham obeyed with costly obedience because he was trusting God's promises. If it hadn't been for the promises, don't know if Abraham would have obeyed. God gave him the promises. Here's the promises. Now, because of these promises, go. This is such an important lesson for us. We've been talking these last weeks about living by faith. So a little bit of review. God does call us to costly obedience, right, church? Jesus said to everybody around, he said, if anybody wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So from the very get-go, we all think, okay, this is going to be costly. And Jesus calls us to costly obedience. He, he calls us to love our enemies. Now, for some of you right now, that, that would be costly. He's calling you to it. He calls us to forgive everyone who hurts us. Some of you are thinking, I, I could never do that. It would be costly. He will enable you. He calls us to costly obedience. He calls us to make disciples of all the nations. That's costly to, to invest in that, to pursue that intentionally. He calls us to persevere through trials, to be devoted to prayer, to live at a lower standard of living so we can give more towards the poor and towards advancing the gospel. He calls us to rejoice in difficulties, be patient through hard times. So he calls us to costly obedience. Do you feel that? It's hard and glorious at the same time because of the promises, the promises. So ask yourself, are you trying to obey without the promises? Are you just trying to obey, or are you opening up and looking at the promises? Every command in the scripture has a promise somewhere in the surrounding context that the author has given to help us obey those costly commands. So when you obey, are you just thinking command? That's good to think, but what's best to think is command linked with promise. So are you seeking to obey without the promises, or are you being like Abraham, obeying by faith, where you set your heart up on the promises and say, strengthen my faith, help me see, help me believe this, help me trust this, and I'll obey. And he will do that. Your heart will be strengthened, and you'll obey in costly ways. So we're asking, what did Abraham do? And the answer is, he obeyed by faith. That's what he did. But now notice that interesting line at the end of verse 6. 
to the, land, to the oak of Moray, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. I was just reading another commentary last night, and the oak of Moray, the word oak is terebinth, and that's a place where the Canaanites regularly did their idol worship. And then the next line, at that time the Canaanites were in the lands. So this is a problem. Can you feel the, the, the problem? God had said to Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation in this land. Well, there's already a nation in that land. The Canaanites. And the Canaanites were a particularly bloodthirsty, murderous people. Again, the curse of sin, just like we'd all been in, okay? They did human sacrifice. Sometimes they would burn their babies on altars as offerings to their idols. And the Canaanites were in the land. So when we read at the end of verse 6, that the Canaanites from the land are all wondering, what about the Canaanites? Okay, what about them? And look what we read in the next verses. Read the end of verse 6, beginning of verse 7. End of verse 6, at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Okay, are you struggling with faith, Abram? Looking at the Canaanites, you're there at the Oak of Moray, seeing their idol worship, seeing the horrible things that they do as part of their religious practices. You're hearing about how they kill people and slaughter people. You're struggling a little bit. Abram, to your offspring, I will give this land. So God appears to Abram, strengthens his faith by speaking the promise to him. I, I just love this about God. The truth here is that God loves to strengthen our faith. Whenever we are weak in faith, doubting, fearful, tempted, discouraged, feeling hopeless, despairing, downcast, whenever we're weak in faith, God's moving towards us. His, his heart is to strengthen our faith. He doesn't say, get your faith strong, then let's come and get some time together. He's moving towards us to strengthen our faith. And he appears to Abraham and speaks this promise to him. I mean, think of how that would have strengthened Abraham. Thank you, Lord, so much. Now, how does he do that with us? God does still speak to people supernaturally. I mean, we believe in spiritual gifts here. He does do that. But that is not the most powerful way he speaks to us. It's not the most clear way he speaks to us. It's not the most common way he speaks to us. What is the most powerful and clear and common way God speaks to us? Through his word, right? This is the clearest word from God you'll ever receive. You want to hear God's voice? The most clear, powerful way is open the Bible. Now, we do believe in spiritual gifts. I'm not saying no to that at all, but don't ever think that that's the clearest, most powerful way. It is not. This is the most clear, powerful way. And so think about it. Every morning, every morning, you can have the God of the universe speaking his promises to strengthen your weak faith. Every morning. Have you had times this last week, first thing in the morning, where you get out of bed, and if you're like me, it's like my faith is usually like way down dragging along in the floor usually when I first get up, and you open up the Bible, and the God of the universe will speak his promises to you afresh 
powerfully, clearly, and your faith will bump, 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 rise, start to rise, start to grow. Have you had times experiencing that this last week? Oh, I hope you have. And if not, let this week be full of it, okay? That's how God speaks to us in the most clear and powerful and common way. But just look at, look at what a God we have. He comes and he strengthens us when we're weak, helps us when we're struggling. He did that for Abraham. He will do that for us. And look at how Abram responds, verses 7 and 8. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Be strengthened, Abram. So he, Abram, built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. I'm going to build an altar and just bow down and thank you, God, for strengthening my faith with appearing to me and giving me your promise. And then verse 8, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar, another altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So Abraham's faith is strengthened. He's worshiping God. And that's what we should do. When God strengthens your faith, just blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you for your mercy. I was weak in faith. I was struggling with faith. You're so good to me because of Christ. Praise you. What a merciful God we have. We have every reason to be strong in faith all the time, right? We never, ever have a good reason to be weak in faith. But he knows we're weak. He knows our frailty. He knows we're just dust. And he'll strengthen us again and again and again. Okay, so so listen, if, if you are weak in faith today, Genesis chapter 12 has good news for you. God will strengthen you. He loves you as you come to him in Christ. Forgive me for my unbelief. Strengthen me. Open up the word. Pray over his promises. He will meet you. Maybe before you leave today, come on up and have us pray for you to be strengthened. Maybe in addition to that, get some time this afternoon just by yourself. Just open up the scriptures and pray. Don't continue with weak faith. Press in. He will strengthen you. What a God we have. Okay, now at this point in the story, everything's going great. Abram obeyed God, right? Promises. God strengthens his faith. Abraham's worshiping. We can think, okay, so the life of faith, like you never sin, right? You just kind of keep going and never sinning. Tragically, that's not accurate. Does Abraham ever sin? The answer is yes. And this next section is a dark time in Abram's life. It's it's shocking what he does here. Verse 9, Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, the land of the Canaanites. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister. You read that right, okay? Abram is totally wimping out here. Say you're my sister. Tell him you're just my sister. That it may go well with me because of you and my life may be spared for your sake. Verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, 
He, Pharaoh, dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Now, if you're thinking, this is awful, you're right. This is tragic what Abram does here. There's a, there's a famine in the land, so they want to go down to Egypt where there's lots of food. But Abram knows my wife is beautiful, and I've heard about Pharaoh, he who kills husbands of beautiful wives, so those wives can be joined into his harem. And I don't want to be killed. So what does Abram do? He tells Sarah, lie. Would you lie to me? Say you're my sister, not my wife. Okay, now, you may know that Sarah was Abram's half-sister, okay? But this is still a flat-out lie because the intention was to make Pharaoh think that she wasn't Abram's wife. That was the point, right? Just a side note here, don't quibble over whether something is a white lie or a gray lie or a not-so-gray lie. Jesus says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no, right? There's no innocent lies. This is a lie. He's asking his wife to lie. And so they lie. And Pharaoh, thinking Sarai is just Abram's sister, takes her into his harem and rewards Abram with servants and animals. So here, this is horrifying. Abram has sinned against Sarah. He has sinned against Pharaoh. And he sinned against God. How has he sinned against God? It's because he stopped trusting God's promises. This is so important to see. What had happened with Abram? Why did he lie? He was ignoring what God had just promised to him in verses 1 through 3. God had said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Is Abraham a great nation yet? No. It's not a trick question. Okay? So if God's going to make him into a great nation, he's not a great nation yet. It's not Abram's time to go home to be with the Lord. Do you see that? Okay? God's going to keep Abram alive. God has said, through your descendants, I'm going to bring salvation to all the people groups of the earth. And so... Abram's descendants, his offspring. Sarah's a crucial part of the whole Abram having offspring thing. Crucial that they stay together. This is a problem, okay? And so the reason that Abram sinned was because he had stopped trusting God's promises. I'm going to make you a great nation. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. I'm going to keep you alive. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who dishonor you. I will protect you, Abram. I'll protect you. So God says, I'm going to protect you, Abram. And Abram heads towards Egypt, and he's thinking, they might kill me. Sarah, please lie. Abram, God had promised to protect you. Do you see that? Now, don't get too hard on Abram. I've done the same thing this last week. You've done the same thing this last week, where we just turn our backs on God's promises. Don't we? I mean, this is why we sin. When I'm impatient... It's because I'm not trusting Psalm 31, 15, where David says to God, my times are in your hands. Wise hands, loving hands, strong hands, traffic delay, something not happening very fast, you know, getting my visa or whatever it might be, right? When I'm impatient, I'm not trusting that my times are in God's hands. Do you see that? When I desire something more than God, 
It's because I'm not trusting Psalm 1611, where David says, it's in your presence, God, that there is fullness of joy. It's at your right hand there are pleasures forever. And when I'm desiring something else more than God, I am not believing Psalm 1611. Do you see that? When I'm angry, I'm not trusting Romans 8.28, that God promises he's going to work everything out to bring me great good in him. Everything, what other people do to me or don't do for me or circumstances that don't go the right way, God's going to work everything out for good. When I'm angry, I'm not trusting that promise. When I lie, I'm not trusting Psalm 84.11. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Not, not perfection, but a heart that's right before the Lord, which would include, help me not to lie. Psalm 84.11. So if, think about this. If every sin is caused by not trusting God's promises, what's the best preventative medicine not to sin? Trust God's promises. Okay? It's good to read the commands. Read commands. All right? But more power will come for obedience from reading the promises around the commands. You see that? Don't not read the commands. Read the commands. Power will come through those, but don't neglect the promises. That's where most of the power for obedience comes from. Okay, so we're the readers. We're tracked along with this story. We've just read this horrifying sin. I mean, again, think of what would have happened if Abraham would have trusted God's promises. Okay, God, you're going to protect me, make me into a great nation. Sarah, we need to go down to Egypt to get food. Let's go down and get food. Walk down there, border, border check. Hello? Border guards say, well, hello, beautiful. Sarah, she's my wife. She's my wife. Thanks for letting us come in and buy food from you. Go on through, okay? Next border stop, well, who's your gorgeous little lady there? Ah, she's my wife. I'm Abraham, Sarah, good to meet you. Thanks for having us be in your country. Go on through, okay? <laughs> then Pharaoh's entourage comes down. Pharaoh stops and says, let's stop here. You, beautiful, I'd like you in my harem. Abram says, with all due respect, sir, she's my wife. We're really glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Go on through. <laughs> okay? What's the difference? Trusting God's promise. Trusting God's promise. God's going to protect us. He's promised He's going to make me into a great nation for his glory. He's going to save all the, all the earth through my seed. Oh, and think of how Pharaoh would have seen God and his glory through Abram's faithful obedience instead of seeing Abram, a representative of God, Yahweh, lying about his wife. Mm, mm, mm. Do you feel that? Okay. But now at this point in the story, verse 16, we're, we're thinking, okay, poor Sarah, she's in Pharaoh's harem. Okay, she's in Pharaoh's harem. This raises lots of questions. What's going to happen to her? And what's going to happen to God's promises? What about this great nation between you and Sarah, your offspring? She's no longer with you. She's with Pharaoh now. What's going to happen? So all the readers were all wondering, what about Sarah and what about God's promises? And look at verses 17 through 20. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Okay? Abram had sinned. He'd lied. He had totally messed up. 
God's promises were there. And God brings great, not just one plague, but plagues upon Pharaoh and his household. Like, like plagues like, like what? Like leprosy, maybe? Or like typhus? Or I, mean, I don't know. What are some great plagues? I mean, some of you medical people. Anyway, think of great plagues. And numerous great plagues all of a sudden, bam, upon Pharaoh's household. They're all sick from these horrible sicknesses. And God has Pharaoh put two and two together. This all started the moment Sarah walked in our door. Who are you, Sarah? I'm Abram's wife. Okay. And so God delivers Sarah from Pharaoh's harem. And God keeps his promises intact. So nothing gets in the way of them being fulfilled. Do you see that? Now, caution. Don't think to yourself, okay, that means I can continue sinning, right? A little bit longer here because God's going to take care of everything for me. God is slow to anger because of Christ. My dad likes to say that, that God's anger is like a slow burning fuse. A slow burning fuse, okay? And the, and the TNT is down there, okay? And he says God's mercy is like a hair trigger on a gun. Maybe it's a bad analogy, but boom! Okay, think of the gun as a good thing. So the point is God is slow to anger, okay? So let me just say this. If you are in unconfessed, willful, known sin, God's anger is, is slow, but don't presume to think that he's going to take care of everything and everything's going to be fine and you can keep sinning just because Abraham sinned here and God broke in and, and changed. We don't know, but I think it's probably likely that Abram, Sarah's in Pharaoh's harem. I'm getting all these cows and donkeys. I, don't want, I want Sarah back. What have I done, right? God, forgive me. Help me. I think probably that's what Abram did. We don't read about it. But if you are involved in known, ongoing, willful sin, repent immediately. Immediately. Jesus is standing before you with his arms open wide. He will welcome you. He will help you. He will change your heart. He will forgive you. He will take care of everything. But don't think you can keep walking the path of sin and he's going to just take care of everything and keep forgiving you. That is not what the scriptures teach. That's all I can say at this point. But take heed. Don't draw the wrong conclusion from the story of Abram. But here's two lessons I want us to take away from this. First, God will always deliver us. Think of poor Sarah there in Pharaoh's harem. God delivered her. And God will always deliver us. Psalm 50, 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. God says, I will rescue you, and you will honor me. Now, he may not rescue us in the exact way that we're thinking he's going to rescue us, right? But he will rescue us in exactly the right way and the right time in order to bring us the greatest joy in him, right? So, rescue's coming, and you will look back when he rescues you, and he says, that's the best rescue ever, far better than what I had in mind. You've experienced that, haven't you? 
when he's rescued you in other ways than you were hoping for, you thought, oh, this is, you look back and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. So God will deliver you, always. I would guess many of you are in a day of trouble. Call upon me, God says, in the day of trouble, I will rescue you, just like he did with Sarah. Second, God will always fulfill his promises. I mean, Abram had totally messed up God's plan here. Can you see what a massive problem this is? All of his promises through his offspring with Sarah, that was God's plan. Sarah's now part of Pharaoh's harem. Abram's by himself. What's going to happen to God's plan? Is God worried? Not at all. God will always fulfill his promises. God brings plagues. He can part the Red Sea. He can do whatever he needs to do. He will fulfill his promises. No matter how bleak your situation looks, God's promises will be fulfilled to you. No matter how hopeless it looks, he will fulfill his promises to you. He can do everything. He's the God of all the earth. Is anything too difficult for him, like Jeremiah says? And the answer is no. Okay, so some of you, I would guess, you're in a day of trouble. You're longing for deliverance. Others of you maybe are wondering if God is going to fulfill his promises to you. You've got the promises in God's word. Is he going to give us the wisdom we need? Will he provide the finances we need? Will he strengthen me as I'm facing this temptation? You're wondering, will God fulfill his promises? Based on this passage here, I tell you, don't despair. Don't lose heart. Don't throw in the towel. God will deliver you, and he will fulfill his promises to you. Now, if you're not yet trusting Jesus Christ, I hope you're curious about this. We would love to talk to you more. I'd love to talk to you more after the service, or there will be people you can talk to up here at the right We'd love to share with you how Jesus' death on the cross can completely forgive all of your sins, past, present, and future, so that the God of the universe can fulfill all of his promises to you, forgiving you, helping you, strengthening you, satisfying you in himself, changing your heart. He will do that. We'd love to share with you more. But for us, Grace Church, those of us who are following Jesus, he will deliver you. He will fulfill his promises to you. Let's trust him. Let's stand. I want to pray this for us. Father, I pray for those here right now who are in need of deliverance. They're in a day of trouble right now. Feeling alone, feeling like it's hopeless. That nothing's going to happen, Lord, I pray that right now through this passage, through the word of Genesis 12, your word, the word of God in Genesis 12, help them see that you will deliver them. Right now, strengthen their faith in your promise. Pour out your grace upon them right now, we pray. Lord, those who feel like you are not going to fulfill your promises to them, who are feeling hopeless and full of despair, Strengthen their faith. Let them see how you fulfilled every promise you made to Abram. You were faithful. You're powerful. And so, Lord, strengthen faith right now that you are going to be faithful to your promises. I pray that faith would just rise in this room right now as we set our hearts upon your word. Come and do that. And, Lord, for any here who are not yet trusting Christ, 
Have them pursue this. Have them want to learn more. Have them want to talk more. Stir their hearts right now so they can come into the joy of knowing God through Jesus Christ, the Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's worship.